Well, again, uh, my name is Mark Eldridge. I'm a member of, Christ, uh, of, of uh, Grace here, uh, but Mike and I were talking at the early service and he decided well, I don't need to introduce you this time formally because I've preached a couple times now but again just so you know I'm uh, Mark Eldridge and I work for the diocese and and uh, helping other other congregations but we've been really pleased my family and I to, to be members here and we've been enjoying uh, worshiping with you all and I've really enjoyed this this epiphany series of seeing Christ and uh, all the messages have spoken uh, to us but uh, and I was really pleased when Mike asked me to, to preach today uh, because of this being the last Sunday of Epiphany and this, this ending of this seeing Christ focus because uh, I just love, I love the last Sunday of Epiphany, especially that it's always this reading we just heard from uh, the Transfiguration. And it's just a wonderful moment in the, in the, in the, in the Gospels and in the life of, of, of Christ and the disciples. And, and it, uh, it's always here, this, this passage today in Transfiguration, it's always on the last Sunday of Epiphany. Because as Mike said at the beginning of the service, today is a shifting day where we move from, from Epiphany season to then Wednesday's Ash Wednesday. And then we go into a season of Lent. And in the Gospels, this, this passage is sort of a pivot point in the Gospel itself where everything sort of builds and builds and builds in the Gospel uh, how the, the disciples are coming to see that Jesus is in fact the Christ and it, their eyes are being opened to, to the revelation that this is the Christ, that Jesus is the, the king, the one true king sent by God to be the savior of the world, establish his kingdom forever. They see it and then it kind of comes to a, a point on the top of the mountain in this transfiguration where Jesus is seen in all his glory uh, and the voice speaks saying, this is my son. And then from there, if you're reading through Mark's gospel, it then uh, starts, they come down the mountain and start heading right towards Jerusalem, right towards uh, the cross, the crucifixion, and resurrection. So it's literally, it's like right in the middle of Mark's gospel. So it's a, it's a pivot point. And we're, as, as Anglicans, we sort of follow that in this season. Epiphany, come to tit, kind of a point today, and then we go into Lent and then focus on and go down towards uh, the cross and the, and, uh, the resurrection. So I'm just privileged to, to talk about this today. And, and as we look at Mark's, Mark 9 uh, in this transfiguration, to really understand what's going on here, I think it's helpful to take a step back and a bigger picture look at the overall gospel as I was just talking about, and particularly in Mark's gospel, uh, because it, it helps make sense of why it's so important for the disciples, particularly of what happened on that mountain. And so, so you, the Gospel of Mark starts right off the bat with Jesus' uh, baptism and the beginning of his public ministry. It's interesting in Mark's Gospel, he doesn't even touch the, the nativity story and any of the birth narratives, any of that. He just, it's, it's um, J John the Baptist came, next thing you know, Jesus is baptized and he, uh, he, he hears the voice uh, of the Father and then begins his public ministry. Let me just read that to you because it's, I think it's important. Mark 1, uh, verse 11 it says, and a voice came from heaven. When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water. A voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. And isn't that interesting? We see the voice, we hear the voice of God, you know, the heavens open and the voice of God speaks at that key moment of Jesus' baptism. And then not again until this moment of the transfiguration, they sort of bookend this, this part of the gospel uh, that we've celebrated in Epiphany. And so the voice, and, and the voice here, it's, it's directed to Jesus. It says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And the message there was for Jesus to, to, to have the confidence to know that he is the beloved son of God. And, and as he begins his public ministry to know, as Dan talked about last week so well, uh, who's the authority and the priority of his life. 
and the authority of being the beloved son of God, he had the priority to go out and establish his kingdom. And so he, he does that in that confidence of what God sent him to do. And so then the rest of the gospel sort of builds and builds and builds up until the transfiguration of Jesus doing that very thing of coming and showing, revealing, giving an epiphany that he in fact is the Christ. He wants people to see who he is. And, and we see all the way through the disciples, uh, initially he says, well, come follow me. And, and, and he just says, come and see. So they say, okay, so they're following him, but they don't really fully grasp who he is and, and all that he has come to do. They're just, this could be the Messiah, this could be the Christ. So they, they start following him. And you see this progression of them gradually seeing their eyes opened to the fact that he is the king. He is the Christ. So I'm just going to walk you through that real quick because I think it's helpful uh, to see the progression. Jesus begins his earthly ministry, his public ministry with a strong authoritative proclamation and then demonstration of his kingship. The proclamation and demonstration of the fact that he's the Christ. And so he preaches, he preaches the first words out of his mouth in Mark 1, 14 and uh, 15 is, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. Believe the good news that the kingdom of God's come. I am the Christ. I'm the one sent by God to establish a forever kingdom that you can come into and be a part of forever. I'm the one. Repent, come, be a part of it. And so they go, who is this guy teaching with authority? That's, this is something, something new's going on here, right? Their, their eyes are beginning to open, but they don't see it yet. And then what Jesus begins to do, and you, you know all these gospel, all these stories. He does miracle after miracle after miracle. So he does things like heal the sick. And so he's healing blind people and all, all, all these sick people over and a multitude of sick people. And they're asking, well, who can do that? Isn't it only God can heal the sick? Exactly. Yes, it's only God can do the things that Jesus is doing. Their eyes are saying, he's some, maybe he's actually the Christ. And then he does things like calm the storms, right? And so he, he, they're, they're on the boat and the storm comes and he calms the storms and specifically says, they ask, Because the, the understanding would be that only God has control over nature. So who is this? God. Yeah, they're starting to see this is, this is the Christ, but they don't see it yet. And then remember the guy, the, the, the friends bring the guy, and they, bring, they, they throw him on the roof, and they bring the guy down uh, for healing, and Jesus' response is, your sins are forgiven. Well, everyone, some people get bad, and others are scratching their head. We're like, well, who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Exactly, right? And so they're starting to see, their eyes are beginning to open. This is, this is the Christ. This is God in the flesh. The king has come. And so he uh, it builds and builds and builds and builds. And then I love Mark chapter 8 because it's right before the transfiguration. It's building and building and building. And if you have your pew Bibles open uh, to, to chapter 9, uh, page 844, I, I want to just sort of flip a page back to chapter 8 and sort of show you how their, how their eyes are being opened to see Christ, which then... Uh, comes to the, the pinnacle at the, at the transfiguration. It's this a wonderful series of events in Mark 8. I just love it. So, so there's the feeding of the 4,000. There's this miracle that, I mean, the, the feeding of the multitudes. The disciples are a part of this amazing miracle. I've got to stand over here. Sorry, I get it. I'll stay behind the pulpit. I can hear the volume going in and out. So, okay. It's hard for me, but I'll try. All right, so I get excited. <laughs> it's exciting stuff. All right. 
Okay, so, so this miracle that they're feeding the, the 4,000, the multitude, and, and it's not just Jesus doing this miracle that they're observing. They're taking the, the loaves and the breads in the, in the bread in their hands, and it's got to be multiplying in their hands as they're taking this and feeding all these people, right? And so they're seeing this amazing miracle in their hands. It's, it's, you'd think that they would completely get, this is God in our midst. This is the Christ. Um, but, but what we see next in, in chapter 8, in verses... Um, 17 and 18, they get into the boat after this miracle, and Jesus starts teaching. He says, well, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And in verse 16, it says, they discuss with one another, is it because we have no bread? It's like, what? How can you guys not see? In fact, Jesus, that's in essence what he says. And you look at verse 17 and 18, he says, aware of their discussion, discussion Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you, listen to this, do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And then he says, don't you remember all the bread? I mean, there's plenty of bread left over. It's not about bread. If this is a modern translation, it might say, and Jesus said, really? Really? <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? What? So, so you see, they're, not, they're, 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 they're seeing, but they're not full, clearly seeing, in fact, who he is, that he is Christ. And then the very next thing in Mark 8, I think this is amazing. The very next thing in there is this story of the healing of the blind man, but it's the partial healing. Remember that story of where Jesus spit on the, and he prayed for the guy and he could only partially see? Well, the question I ask is, why is that particular passage of that healing story right there in the middle of Mark 8? Well, I think God, through Mark, put it there to, to show the progression of the disciples gradually having their eyes see open to see who he was clearly. So, so it's this passage there in Mark 8, um, spits, uh, spit on the man's eyes, prayed for him, and then in verse 24 it says, he looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. So he can kind of see, but not clearly see. And then verse 25, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened, his sight restored, and he saw everything clearly. So isn't that amazing? So they're not quite getting it. Then you see this miracle of starting, to, this guy doesn't get it, then gets it. And then the very next thing in Mark 8 is 27 through 30, where is Peter's confession of the Christ. So Jesus says, well, who do people say that I am? Some say this, some say that. Who do you say that I am? In verse 27, what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Got it. See, so all of a sudden, there, he clearly sees, he gets it, they get it. And this is sort of, it's building, building, building in the Gospels. And it's like, yes, they finally see he's the Christ. And then, it, then at that point, they go up from, they're in Caesarea Philippi. They probably, they think it's Mount Hermon. They go up to the top of Mount Hermon. And there's this, uh, this amazing transfiguration that happens in Mark 9, where you see, they see the truth, the proof of the fact that he is the Christ, the Son of God, in this transfiguration. They get it. And it's so important that they get it because... Things are going to change, and they're going to have to follow him towards the crucifixion, which is going to be a big, a big change. So, so they get it. So that brings us to the to the transfiguration. They see finally, and it's true. And then look at this. Let's look at this again, real quick. So it says they they're up on the mountain. They were all alone, and there he was transfigured before them. His clothes uh, were dazzling white. This is amazing. They're seeing Jesus in all his glory, his heavenly glory. 
And, and then it says, and Moses and Elijah appear, of course, and then it builds to this point in verse 7, which I think is the main idea here, which is the cloud appeared. Let me read this. The cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. Let me stop there. The cloud's very important. They, there would be no mistaking what that meant. When the cloud showed up, that was a clear reference that God is present. It was in the cloud that God spoke to Moses. It was in the cloud that God's presence remained in the tabernacle as they traveled around in the desert, and the cloud hadn't been around in a long time. Uh, and so all of a sudden, this cloud appears. The God is present with his people again. He's present in the voice of heaven. God speaks and says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is it. He's the Christ. They're seeing Christ for who he is, the one true king that's come to establish his kingdom forever. They can follow him and they can listen to him. And I'm going to get back to that idea of listening to him because I think that's important for all of us to, to focus on. But, but before I do, I just want to step back and think about that progression a little bit of how the disciples came to see Jesus. Because um, I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort to know that, that there's, a, there's a progression of seeing Jesus and his glory and his fullness. Because I didn't just immediately go from not believing to all of a sudden believing and having it all figured out. In fact, I'm still progressing, and I don't know anybody who didn't go through some process of sort of checking it out and seeing about Jesus and asking questions and then gradually starting to see, and then finally going, aha, I get it, epiphany, the, the light went on, and now I see Christ, and I want him to be my king, and I want to follow him. One of my favorite modern stories of this was a, uh, in the last church I was in at Christ Church, there was a, a guy who came to faith in, in our church. He accepted Christ, got all excited about Jesus, and he immediately started telling his brother uh, about Jesus. His brother was a self-described uh, angry atheist. And he, uh, he, big guys, like 6'2", big guy, shaved head, I mean, by choice, you know, kind of a intimidating, you just wouldn't want to run into him in a, in a, in a, in a private, in a corner somewhere. He, he's angry guy. So, but his brother's like, I got to tell him about Jesus. So he starts telling him about Jesus and he invites him to church and his brother accepts the invitation to come to church one Sunday. And he was coming, I was like, oh good. And then so uh, I later found out that his brother came to that, accepted that invitation because he was going to come that day to confront me because he was like, I'm going to talk to this priest who messed my brother up with Jesus. <laughs> and he was going to pick a fight with me. And so I didn't know any of that. And so he comes that day and then, and then, uh, and, and he leaves and no, no confrontation, nothing happened. It was fine, thankfully. And, um, and later I found out, he said he came with the intent to, to confront me. But when he walked in the building, he had this, said he had this strange peace come over him that he didn't know what to do with. So he just left. Well, that's God. God was, Jesus was demonstrating to him in only a way that Jesus could, that he was real. And so he was going, I don't know, maybe there's something to this. But, he, but nothing happened for six more months that I'm aware of. And then, uh, and then we were having a men's retreat, and, and the brother who got saved was giving his testimony. So he's, he invited his brother, come, come here, here, come to this men's retreat, hear my testimony. So the brother says, well, I, I want to support my brother, and I want free food. So he decided to come. And, and so as, as we do on typical retreats and things like that, we were talking about, you know, God, a relationship with God. And, and, and at one point I said, well, now God wants to speak to you. He wants, he wants you to hear his voice and, and guide you and direct you. And so what we want to do is just take about 15 or 20 minutes and just go away, find a quiet place by yourself and just get quiet and, and, and hear from the Lord and see what he'd say to you. 
Well, he, he was there. He said, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, um, but I need a cigarette break. So he, <laughs> he goes out in the parking lot. Uh, he, he lights up the cigarette, and he says to the God he doesn't believe in, he said, uh, he said, all right, God, if you're real, you've got to the end of this cigarette uh, to prove yourself. And so uh, immediately he heard what he described as, as an audible voice say to him, welcome home, what's taking you so long? And he was undone. He was just undone. He was like, I don't, you know, he did, so he comes in, I don't know any of that happened either. And so he comes into me, very, big guy, very aggressive, comes in, he goes, he goes, I'm leaving, but we need to talk this week. Uh, I was like, all right, great. So you know, we set up an appointment and he left. So he comes in and he shares all of that had happened. And then, uh, and he's got all these questions. He comes in and he's asking me all these questions, all these questions, him and his wife. And I finally said, look, here's the thing. It's all true. It's all true. Jesus is the Christ. He, it's all true. And so you can either, either keep coming and ask all these questions. And as you seek the answers, you'll discover that it's true. And by faith, you'll believe in him as the Savior and Lord of your life and follow him as your king. Or you can just by faith right now believe it. Uh, ask him to be the Savior and king of your life. And then keep asking your questions and you'll, you'll find it's all true too. I, either way is fine. I would suggest the latter option. <laughs> and, and so he looks over at his wife. He goes, she goes, let's do it. So, uh, so we prayed and he accepted, they both accepted Christ and began to just get all their questions answered over time. And they, their lives were transformed. They became really key leaders in our church. But I just said that because there's a progression. It's just God's acting in our lives and you start to see and then, aha, I get it. Well, and I, and I think, I mean, some of you, I don't know where you are in your journey of seeing Jesus as the Christ, um, but if you're somewhere in that process of your eyes are starting to open, you're not quite sure, you don't have all the answers, it's a great, keep coming, keep asking the questions, keep seeing, seeking, and, and you'll, you'll, he'll reveal himself to you. And, and I think the timing of this is interesting in that today, uh, Alpha starts tonight at five o'clock. And Alpha would be a great place, if that's you, to just jump in and say, I've got a bunch of questions because look at the sign up front. You've got a big question mark. It's about asking questions in a safe environment, no judgment, to, to seek the answers. And so come tonight. Don't even have to sign up. Just show up at 5 o'clock um, if that's you. Now, to the, to the rest of you who, who you're like, yeah, I get it. I, I, I see Jesus as the Christ. I've made him my king, and, and I, I'm following him as best I can. Well, what is our response to this transfiguration? What is the response to seeing him clearly as the Christ? Well, God was very clear about what we should do in verse 7. This is my son whom I love. He's the one. Listen to him. And this is my main point for, for, for everyone here. If you see him... Listen to him. If you see him as the Christ, you know him to be king, the only proper response is to listen to him. Great, okay, done. Easy enough, right? Well, it's one thing to know you're supposed to listen to him. It's another thing to know, how, how do I do that exactly? Because here's the thing, it's not, it's not in our nature to listen to what God says. In fact, our sin nature is such, such where we're, we're by nature rebellious to doing what God wants us to do and to not listen. The original lie of the devil in the garden was, oh, you don't have to listen to him. You can be like God yourself. Do what you want. Go ahead and eat the apple, the fruit. You know, you, you don't have to listen to him. It's contrary to our, to our uh, sin nature to listen and to do what he says. 
And so listening to him takes practice and it takes effort on our part to really listen. So let me just, I know I feel like I'm going a little long, so I'm just going to give you some suggestions on how we can better listen to him as our king. Because he's, he's worthy of listening to. He's the one. He's the king. So I've got three points. We want to listen humbly, obediently, and wholeheartedly. Humbly, obediently, and wholeheartedly. And interestingly enough, if you think about it, that spells out how. How, H-O-W, how to listen to the Lord. I don't know how that happened, it was weird. But okay, humbly, humbly listen. What do I mean by that? Because of our sin nature, it's not natural for us. We, we want to, I'm, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And so to really listen to him, we wanna put ourselves rightfully under, under his headship. He's the king, we're not. So come under and listen to him. Remember your place uh, in a good way. Uh, my favorite passage to talk about this is Matthew 5, 3, the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude. Remember what Jesus said? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you recognize you don't have all the answers, you're not king, you're not in charge, and you go, okay, I'm a mess, I need God, and you come under his king. Okay, you're the king, I'm going to follow you and listen to you. And when you recognize that, that's when the blessings of living in the kingdom really start to unfold for us. So recognize, and you have to humble yourself and come under his kingship and be willing to listen and to do what he says, which is the obedient part. Uh, it implies, you know, humility implies obedience, but you can listen to him and you can know exactly what he's saying to you and just refuse to do it. We can, we have the freedom to be disobedient. So listening to the Lord implies that what he's calling us to is obedience. Uh, you can know exactly what the Bible says and say, well, I, I disagree or I agree. I'm still going to do it my way. Uh, a simple example would be, well, I know the Bible says not to gossip, but I think I'm the one person on the planet that can gossip and it will, it'll go well somehow, right? It won't come back to me and cause divisions and problems. Uh, no, I mean, people try it all the time. It doesn't work. Or at a more deep level, you know, the Bible says to forgive and the importance of forgiving others. And you say, well, I know it says that, but I'm going to choose to not forgive. I'm going to hold on to that unforgiveness and resentment in my heart. And I think I'm the one person that can be unforgiving and it not chew me up and kill me inside. It won't. We need to forgive. See, I mean, we can reject what it says. You listen to it and obey. Listen to the scripture. And so I'm going to say listening to the scripture because God has already spoken in the word. So the things he said to us already in the word, listen to it and obey it. Uh, you, know, you know this passage well, uh, first James, excuse me, James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. I, I can go on, but I think you know the idea. The other thing, the other thing I would say is listen to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God, the, the third person of the Trinity, the creator of the universe dwells within your heart. And he wants to speak to you and guide you and lead you and help you figure out and navigate life. So learn to listen to his guidance and, and obey him when he does. I remember um, early on in my ministry, I was, I, was, um, I was doing something, I forget exactly what it is. I think I led someone to the Lord at, a, at an alpha retreat. And I was just like, this is awesome. And I, was, I remember praying and saying, God, thank you so much for using me. I'm, I'm just, this is awesome. I was just overjoyed. And I asked the Lord, I said, why, why me, God? Why are you using me like this? And I remember him saying very simply, because you listen. I remember, that's it? I was waiting for, because Mark, you're, you're just this greatest thing that's come along. And I didn't know how to establish my kingdom until, until you came along. And now, I mean, we can really do something. And I was like, it's just listening? That's all it takes? And pretty much. 
God's willing to use anybody who's going to just be obedient. I'm telling you to do it, do it. Man, if you're willing to be obedient, he'll use you in great ways. Why not? I think I just got this impression. He's scanning the earth like, oh, here's someone who'll listen. Let's go. Here's someone who'll listen. Let's go. They're not going to be rebellious. They're going to listen. So I just, listening to his voice. And he'll, he'll guide you how to do that. When I was first saved, uh, he showed me all this. He told me not to buy a pair of sunglasses one time. I was like, don't buy a pair of sunglasses. What's that have to do with anything? And so I was wrestling with God. Should I, should I not? Is this God? Is this not? I finally said, you know what? I think God's telling me not to buy these sunglasses. So I walked out of the store. Um, and, and I just had this peace about, about it. It's like, okay, well, I guess God didn't want me to buy those sunglasses. Well, the more I listen to that voice over the last 20-something years, the better things go. And so he'll show you, okay, so obediently. And then the other thing is listen wholeheartedly. And this is a simple point I want to close with, which is basically be attentive. Be attentive to the Lord. Sorry. Be attentive to the Lord. You know, you, anyone who's married knows that you can, you can be hearing and not listening. There's one day this week, I was, it was anytime after 8 p.m. is bad for me, but I was sitting in bed, I was playing a bubble game on my phone or something, I don't know, but I was, I was into my phone, and, and my wife's talking, and there's sounds coming out over there, but I, and at some point, some point, are you listening to me? No? I mean, there may be words, but I wasn't hearing a thing you were saying. So I did the right thing. I wholeheartedly put my phone down, sat up, gave her attention, looked her in the eye, and, and, and listened. Well, that's what we need to do with God. And just every day, I recommend a quiet time where every day you take some time, you put the phone down, you put everything, distractions, TV off, and you sit up, you open the word, you look for him, you pray, you seek his face, and you listen. Wholeheartedly pay attention and, and be ready to receive what he'd have to say to you. Let's, I want to close with prayer and just ask that God would help us all to see him clearly and appropriately respond with listening. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, help each one of us here, God, to see you and listen to you. Uh, Lord, for each person here who's not yet see clearly that you are the Christ, I just pray that you would reveal yourself uh, as you did with my friend and just reveal yourself to them in a powerful way that they would see. And God, that all of us would learn to hear your voice and to humbly, obediently, and attentively listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen.